Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. everyone and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. I'm so excited because the guest on the show today is one of my idols, mentors, heroes. She's a fantastic writer who co-wrote my all-time favorite movie, You've Got Mail. Her name is Delia Efron. She co-wrote You've Got Mail with the late, great Nora Efron, who was her sister. Uh, they also wrote Hanging Up Together, which was based on Delia's book, Hanging Up. That was, of course, the movie with Meg Ryan, Lisa Kudrow, and Diane Keaton. Uh, she also uh, wrote Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, Bewitched, Michael, Mixed Nuts, This Is My Life. She was a producer on Sleepless in Seattle. She wrote so many best-selling books, including one of my favorites, Sister, Mother, Husband, Dog, etc., which is an essay collection that if you haven't listened to it, go get the audiobook immediately. It's narrated by my queen, Meg Ryan. Now, Delia has a new memoir out called Left on Tenth, A Second Chance at Life. It's out this Tuesday. It's so good. It's so heartwarming. It's romantic. It's heartbreaking. It's filled with grief and love and second chances. It's so incredible. I need you all to read it. It's a really phenomenal book, as all of Delia's work is. Uh, but this book really chronicles her life in her 70s when she had, and this is uh, not a spoiler because it's something that happened in her own life, and the book very much reads almost as if it's fiction because it's almost unbelievable all the stuff that happened in a short amount of time in Delia's life. But she had lost her sister Nora, she had lost her husband. After she lost her husband, she reconnected with someone who was introduced to her by her late sister, Nora, when they were young. And this man read some of Delia's work in the New York Times, sent her an email, and they fell in love over email, which is straight out of You've Got Mail. I mean, come on. And so she falls in love for a second time in her 70s, and then she finds out that she is diagnosed with the same disease that her sister had passed from. So this is her describing it. I mean, very simply, I I lose Jerry. I meet Peter in this crazy way, fall madly in love with him. And four months later, I get diagnosed with leukemia. And the book is about that survival. So it's about love and medicine. It's incredibly compelling book. It's also very hopeful, lovely, romantic, all of the things. And there's so much more to the story. I want you all to go pick up the book, but just I hope you enjoy the chat with Delia as much as I did. Again, I followed her work forever. And just getting to talk to her about You've Got Mail was a dream come true to me because I love that movie with all of my heart. And so I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. She's a brilliant writer. And and like I said, all of her work is really great. But if you are an audiobook person, which I'm not normally, but the audiobook for her last essay collection, again, it was called Sister, Mother, Husband, Dog. 
And I just think Delia Efron is just the, I want to say the bee's knees. Do people say that still? I am. <laughs> I am. So I hope you enjoy this. As always, I want to remind everyone to find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a book out called How Do I Unremember This? If you are new to the Everything Iconic podcast, please go check out my collection of short, hopefully funny stories that I wrote, hoping they also give the reader with a lot of heart and emotion, but really just some silly stories that will ideally make you feel like you're getting a warm hug. So that's called How Do I Unremember This? You can get it wherever books are sold, and I'll put a link in the episode description. Uh, Again, pick up Left on 10th, A Second Chance at Life by the lovely, talented Delia Efron. She was just the best. I mean, talking to her, it was just, it was the best. I mean, sometimes on this podcast, I get to talk to people who I've admired uh, from afar, and it's like a weird kind of pinch me thing. And of course, you all know Meg Ryan's at the top of my list, so hopefully we'll get Meg on Everything Iconic soon. But this was a complete dream come true. Uh, We'll be back later this week with recaps of all of our Bravo stuff that we normally do. But for now, please enjoy my chat with Delia Efron, author of Left on 10th, A Second Chance at Life. Enjoy. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm, I'm so, I'm a little nervous. I'm so excited. I'm such a huge fan of you and your work. And this is a dream come true. So I'm sorry oh, if I come across as crazy. I, I must say, I was just watching you on the view. I think it was on the view. You are just so amazing. Oh, you seem so comfortable out there. I, I find those things. So those live things on television, I find them so difficult and you were just so cool and comfortable. Thank so you. I admire that a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I am the biggest You've Got Mail fan. I know you co-wrote that with uh, the late Nora Ephron, who was your sister. And I have a print that I just wanted to show you of Joe Fox and Kathleen Kelly. Oh, that is insane. Where did you get that? There's what an artist, that? an artist, Dylan Bonner. I hope I'm saying that right. I commissioned him to make this because I'm the biggest You've Got Mail oh, fan. Yeah, that so, so incredible. That's I, incredible. I had to share I, I it. Love it. It's so divine. Well, you can see, can you see my back wall? There's the 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 shop, the shop around the corner that's from her bookshop. And I took it off the set when we finished shooting and it's hanging in my office. Oh my god. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's it, to me it's the greatest movie. And of course, I want to talk about your book, but what do you think it is about that movie that sort of lives on and and why people like myself are so not just into it, I think obsessed with it? First of all, I have noticed that it's grown more in popularity. So I think that there's a... There's a good feeling about it. And and I think people want good feelings now. I mean, I just think it and it I mean, what I always think Nora was so smart about and and um, it was such a joy to work with her is that she knew that a romantic comedy could be smart. And and so I think that it's both smart and then it just the great thing about a romantic comedy, which is why I can never believe people trash them, is that. If you're in love, the only time you ever fall in love again is at the movies. And if you're not in love, a a romantic comedy can make you feel it's possible. And what is more important than that? I would like to know. 
I completely agree with you. There's nothing to me more comforting than you've got mail. And I remember seeing it at a a pivotal age in my life, but I grew up in Ohio and it seemed so aspirational to me because we didn't have a Starbucks. We didn't, we, everything about living in a big city seemed so out of the world that I was from. And so even from that aspect, it it was like, I wanted to live in that movie. Uh, Oh, oh yeah. You know, Nora and I both lived in the same building for a short while, the on uh, 79th and Broadway. And this, movie was you know a love note to the to the neighborhood as well as um i think my mother uh my mother just loved books and there were so many books in our house and i we grew up reading children's books so when we gave uh, the meg ryan character a children's bookstore we were channeling a lot of love from our childhood so i think i think you know love of books i think it's a very I think there's a lot of personal stuff in that movie in a way that informs its, its good feelings. Yeah. It's just because we're talking about this. I was going to ask you later, but there's this people online sort of argue sometimes whether or not Joe Fox and Kathleen Kelly would have been able to stay together, especially because uh, seemingly they were coming from also different, maybe political backgrounds. And I wonder, do you have any insight on that? I mean, you were the co-writer of that movie and I wonder. Um, there's a reason why romantic comedies end with the marriage. I mean, there is because life after that is more complex. And um, I think that they really enjoyed being together and that that wears really well over time, that the other mm-hmm. person makes you laugh, that you feel happy when you're with them. I, th- I mean, I think that if I had to say what I makes a long, happy marriage, I would say, a real pleasure in the other person's observations and conversation and everything. And I think they had that. So yeah, I do. I love that. I love that. Uh, Delia, I want to talk about Left on 10th. Now, it is so beautiful. It starts with your late husband uh, when he was ill. That's where it opens. Uh, And it was interesting. You take us through in that first chapter, his passing, and I don't know if this was just me reading it, but I, I read, I felt dark comedy in that in a lot of ways. You talk about uh, going to get your hair done the day before. And I wonder, first of all, was. And was, sobbing in the cab all the way there. Yes, absolutely. But definitely going to get my hair done and feeling very guilty about it. Um, my relationship to needing um, hair appointments is, is. <laughs> It's one of my my more obsessive things. And I, I didn't leave Jerry alone, but there was so much guilt. There's so much guilt in losing someone you love. Every, almost everything I did, I then kept looking at. Was that the right thing to do? Was that okay? I mean, I, I don't think you're ever prepared for the loss of the person you've spent your life, I've spent my life with and, and who I grew up with and... I don't mean grew up with because when I was young, I mean, when I became who I was about in my 30s, that's when I met Jerry. And I I blossomed in that marriage. We were very bonded and we were both writers and we, we understood that that was a calling and we respected it in each other. And 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 there was he was a very compassionate person, very empathetic man. And 
I never really thought about that I would lose him. Mm-hmm. So everything was jumbled, uh, you know, as he, it was the last weeks, week of his life was just, it was just terrible. So during the writing of that point in both of your lives, does the writing process give you more clarity on how you felt or, or do you feel steadfast and then write about it? Does that make sense? Oh, oh, I think the writing is, I mean, first of all, I think the reason that my work goes, can go in a, from comedy to tragedy like that is because my life as a child, I was extremely happy kid who was the funny one in the family. And then my parents took a very dark turn when I was about 11 and the house became, you know, scary. It was, they were both terrible drinkers and it was, it was a scary place to live. And I think it gave me an ability in the way that some awful things that happen to you can give you gifts of being able to go back and forth almost within a scene between the comedy and the tragedy. It's a, it's, it's a strange gift I got, I think from that. Um, I heard you say that this entire story, which is chronicled in the book was really a gift to you. I I think I wrote the uh, quote mm -hmm. down. You said it was almost a present as a writer and do you remember the first time maybe something in your life happened, whether it was in your youth or, or as an adult, where you recognized it as a gift being the writer that you are? In my family, we I told stories at dinner, you know, and every time I and even when things were difficult, when I I mean, I went once This is not something I'm proud of now, but I went to a Billy Graham rally at the Coliseum. I'm Jewish. And I went there and converted to see what they did to see what it was like, you know. And then I came home and told everyone at dinner that I did that. And my parents always thought the things I did were just divine. They never said that is a horrible thing to have done. You know, some other parents might have said that I went to. Uh, I was a kid. I went to um, I was a, on the school newspaper and they sent me to a conference on teenage marriage. And I didn't know I barely had dates. I did not know anything about teenage marriage, but I knew that a journalist should quote a source so if you don't know anything. So I said, because I suffered the effects of an unsuccessful teenage marriage, I feel qualified to say, you know, and then the newspaper, Beverly Hills Citizen News arrives at my parents' house and there is a picture of me and it's the lead. It's that Delia Efron, 17-year-old senior from Beverly Hills High School, tried marriage and found it unsuccessful. She had this to say, and then they quoted me. So I was like always doing stuff like that. And well, not always, but a, a lot. That was sort of my my thing. Um, I think that looking at the at almost all things that what's funny about them as well as what's serious about them had just, it's always been my, it's probably my nature. And I, I, I think that's often why I feel so I gravitate towards your writing. I, I tend to find the funny in the dark too. And I think as humans, I, it's one of the most important things for us to survive with our lives because otherwise things can get pretty bleak and, and I, I love the way you're able to not toe that line. I don't know what the right right term I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Walk that line. Walk that line. Yeah, such a beautiful way. Um, so in the book, you you lost your late husband Jerry to cancer. You also lost your sister Nora to cancer. 
Then you meet this man, Peter, again, for sort of the second time. Can you tell people about the meeting of Peter and sort of the meet cute between the two of you? Well, um, left on left on 10th, which is the title of my book. I live on 10th Street and I had been left on 10th when it left on 10th is my way home. And um, so almost everything that has to do with this book has to do with being in Greenwich Village and living on 10th Street, which is my most happy place. And anyway, after after Jerry died, I wanted to disconnect his landline and I uh, crashed the Internet and I ended up in a huge. Well, I didn't crash the Internet. Verizon crashed the Internet. And I ended up in a huge battle with them on the phone for hours, being disconnected, obeying their prompts to get back. I mean, I was in a total rage and I wrote a funny piece about it. Also sad, though, about losing my husband and being driven crazy by Verizon. And I published it in The New York Times. And I got a lot of mail on this. I mean, a lot. A lot of people don't like their phone companies. So, um, and then like, I think it was a six months later, at least, at least I think, um, maybe five months, I get an email from Peter through my website. We had, we had two or three dates. I wasn't clear on that. Um, when eight, 54 years ago, okay, when we were 18 years old, I'm now 72, right? Well, I'm not so you- yeah, I was 72 then, right? You had these dates with him that many well, years ago, and you had forgotten even because it was so much time had passed. I I completely have no memory of it. And, um, and yet, I have a vague memory of being at a Columbia football game, which is where he said we went, and of snow falling. And he said snow did fall, but I do not remember who I was with. He thinks this is great, by the way, because he thinks we were not meant to be then. And it's just as well we'd have no memory of each other then. But this was the most charming email. First of all, my sister had fixed us up. So he came blessed by Nora. Um, he is a psychiatrist and he wrote and he's a Jungian psychoanalyst. And I had just been invited to speak at a conference of Jungians in Houston, Texas. And I, I had thought to myself at the time, what's a Jungian? I better meet one and find out. And boom, one shows up in my inbox. Then the last trip he had taken with his late wife had been to Syracuse, which is the title of my last novel. And how many people would that be true of? I mean, it's a falling down place in Sicily. I mean, it's divine, but it's a falling down place. And so there was so much overlap that there was no question that I had to answer this wonderful email. So I wrote him back telling him I had no memory of meeting him. But, oh, and then amazingly, I Googled him and he turned out. This was a real fantasy. He turned out to be an expert in sexual harassment. He he written two books on it. I, I mean, it's almost a feminist prank. So anyway, I wrote him back and I, I really had no thoughts ever of falling in love again, but I must have been open to it because really within a couple of weeks, we were emailing each other. There are all these emails are in the book. They're all there because you have to know what the love story is. And ours was, and, and then I thought, I was in You've Got Mail. I thought I'd fallen into my own romantic comedy. I mean, the parallels was, are amazing. It's so me. crazy. So, um, you know, 
then um what did you learn about the courtship process over email like obviously you had written this humongously successful film about courtship over the internet and now you lived courtship over the internet and i wondered living it did you learn something new did any was something confirmed to you like what what did you take away from that falling in love with peter first starting over emails what did I learn from it? Well, I, I mean, email is a very fun thing. And it's it's not like texting. It's not, you know, just little blasts of people. You can shape it and you you can make it more like a letter so that there's a charm to an email. And and we were both we were courting each other. And plus Peter was sending me these these folk songs, um, Ian and Sylvie um come in stranger. And I mean, that dates us both, but we both love them because we grew up on folk songs and and so there was there was a very magical quality to being able to connect that way. And also, you know, you can connect late at night. You can just say goodnight to someone or I mean, there were so many. But also, I have to say, you know, soon we were talking on the phone and then and then we were clocking, you know, three and four hour conversations. So and were you but, living in the same place or you were in different cities? He was living in. um uh, Mill Valley, do you know where that is? That's north. Of, it's in Northern California. It's just north of San Francisco, over the Golden Gate Bridge, and that's where his practice was. So he was there amidst the redwoods, and which I told him right off the bat, I do not hike except across <laughs> the woods for a ba- to a bakery because really, <laughs> I, you know, he told me that he'd healed after his wife died by hiking in and out of the Grand Canyon, and the first thing I thought is no, absolutely no, not. I'm not going, I'm not doing that. So I told him right away. I said, I wrote, I'm a city girl. Important to know, important to believe. You just mentioned baked goods. And I do have to just ask you real quickly, we need to take a little detour because I need to know, is there one place in New York that you love? Clementine's has great chocolate chip cookies and they have great um, cupcakes. Interesting. You know Clementine's? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go there next time. Okay. Um, Okay. So then... uh, the story, it's so cinematic and there's so many turns and and now you fall in love with Peter and you had said, I, I believe this was in the book or maybe this was in an interview that I listened to with you. You said we had decided uh, falling in love. We had to decide about falling in love in our 70s because death is so close you can touch it, you said. Yes. Uh, and so how long into that courtship did you, do you feel like you decided? Well, we were... We were falling in love before yeah. we actually saw each other in person. We were, it was clear that, and, and the we went out, he flew to New York and we, and it was terrifying actually to see him in person. You know, it was like, cause it was, it was a fantasy online. It wasn't, you know, uh, we're, we were at dinner and I was almost completely tongue tied having, you know, having spent weeks pouring my heart out to him on the phone and in emails, I suddenly in person, and I suddenly said to him, you know, we're not getting married this weekend. And, and he started laughing. And he, he told me later he was just at that table thinking we could get married this weekend. It was like this you do. thing where I, I just, you know, but but really what happened was I got completely panicked. And I, and I said to him, you know, um, I don't know how we can do this. We just lost our mates. We're going to lose each other. You know, how, how can we fall in love when death is so close? We can reach out and, and touch it. And, and 
I said, you know, I give you permission to leave me if I get sick. And Peter just said, I would never do that. It was just, he just shut it down. And that is his nature. I mean, what I, then what happens? Then three months, three months later, I get a diagnosis of leukemia. And he was the most constant person that he could possibly be. But, um, you, you know, there's two things about falling in love in your 70s. First of all, it's scary because, because death is close. But it's also easier in certain ways because you're not dealing with everything else. You're not dealing with what career should I have? Do I want to have children? Do I, you know, will, will it last? Where do I want to, what, what city is right for me? What country is right for me? What, you know, all that stuff that practically tortures you in your 20s and 30s. Um, you don't have any of that anymore. You've done and become who you are. And that makes it in many ways easier to find someone who's right for you and to not have anything competing with it. We got to take a quick break here. I want to thank Acast for all episodes of Everything Iconic. Go to acast.com slash everything iconic. Wherever you listen to your podcast, please be sure to subscribe, like, follow, comment, all of the good things uh, if you're enjoying it. We'll be right back with more with Delia Efron. Ah, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, We use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash everything iconic. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. Uh, so that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Everything Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. Yeah, yeah. 
you mentioned his sort of steadfastness and, and you print some of the emails in the book. And I thought it was so fascinating. You said you looked through emails as you were, I think, writing this book that Peter had sent, and he was always so positive after your diagnosis. And something about that stuck with me because I think oftentimes like sort of spying on our significant others or something is looked at uh, on one way, but I think there's other times, sometimes I'll look at my significant other, we've been together 12 years and I'll, I'll look at him when he's asleep or something. And that's when I'll have kind of an uh, aha moment of, I love him more than ever, even though he's Uh sleeping or, or, or yes, you stumble upon something that makes you fall in love with them. That's that's true. I mean, when I read those, I, it didn't surprise me because I. But he never said God well, when I was going through my stem cell transplant, which was an absolutely brutal experience uh, for all of us, but especially for me and Peter. And he never said, oh, God, this is hell. He didn't even ever say that. He just said, we believe this is going to happen. You know, this is going to work. And um, and there I was with graft versus host diseases and, you know, all sorts of, you know, I'm just getting weaker and weaker. And he was reading those medical reports that showed that, you know, the engraftment had taken and he was just believing. And he also, he stayed in the, have you ever had, is your significant other ever been sick in the hospital where you had to go and take care of him in the day or anything? He, we, I have, but he hasn't. Um, okay. Yeah. Because about eight o'clock at night, you really, if you've been there all day, I just got to get home. I've got to, you know, just get my my head clear. Peter never needed to do that. And uh, I spent every night there. And in fact, one of the things I think is so awful about COVID is it's made it impossible for people to be with people they love. And I believe I was cured by love and medicine. And his presence was so important. Yeah. And it also makes you feel safer if there's someone you love in the room with you. I mean, we're sort of just scratching the surface on your book, Left on 10th, but uh, I I mentioned it felt so cinematic to me. And you've worked so much in the film space. And I wonder, is is something like this um, something you would even want to see in film? Or is it too personal to let go of in that way? Does that even make sense? Yes, it does. I, I've been trying to think about that, actually, because there's interest in film and theater for it. And I've been trying to think how I would do it for either and if I would do it for either. And, um, you know, I'm a dramatist. One of the reasons why I think the book people have been telling me, I'm happy to say that the book is is compulsive reading. They can't stop. It's because I I know I understand drama. So, I mean, when I got to write this, I got to use my gifts on myself, on my story. And and that was part of the joy of it, actually, was to, I think if anyone gets really sick and they can do anything with it at all, you know, knit it or dance it or paint it or whatever, right, it, it, it's helpful. So that was true. But but I I knew that this amazingly dramatic series of events had happened to me and that, that some of them were in crazy like the Verizon thing and some of them surviving that illness were was miraculous well they were all kind of miracles in certain ways so I knew that I dramatically I knew it was wonderful I knew when I started to write it the writer heart my writer's heart was telling me you know there 
this is something. We need stories like this. You, we had talked about you've got mail and sort of the comfort in it. And I think I'm sort of seeing a, a rom-com or, or romantic renaissance oftentimes. I mean, just yesterday it was announced Nancy Myers is going to be returning in the Netflix space. And I think people want to know that they could fall in love and they want to see people fall in love. And so I would just love to see this live in television or film. Thank you. I, Thank need, you. To see, I need to see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good. You've worked with Meg a bunch of times. I mentioned she narrated your last book and mm-hmm. you, you two have worked together. And to me, she's the most underrated, brilliant actress ever. And I always think she never gets the credit for how good she is and in the roles that she does. Do, does she sort of feel like a um, almost an acting surrogate to you? Because I know she's she's been in Hanging Up, which was based on your book. Yeah. And a, few, um, a, a bunch of your other projects. And, and like I said, also narrating your last essay collection. Yeah, that was a wonderful f- favor that she did that for me. She loved that collection. You know, I I don't I don't think so. First of all, I, I always kind of think of myself as a book writer. I've done movies, and one of the reasons I've done them is that they're so much fun. But being a writer on a movie is not always a I mean, I'm sure you've heard people complain out there in LA about, you know, writers are fired off movies and they don't own their material. So I knew the minute I started to write for movies that I needed to write books. And I constantly paired it so that I had another place where I could hear my own voice. Um, I don't really think I've ever thought of, I think Meg was a real gift to Nora and me, you know, I mean, she's just, she was the most marvelous romantic comedy star and, and the combination of her with Tom Hanks, it was just, it's very special, you know? Yeah. yeah magical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've inspired me so much. I, I just wrote my first book, my first essay collection. And, and before that I had been, I can't wait to read it actually. I'm oh my God, I'll send you, I would die if you read it, but you don't have to read it, but um, I'm, gonna read it. Uh, I, I'm happy to send you a copy and you know, but I've been so inspired because I was writing, I, I was a screenwriter before then, and I've had a couple projects sort of get close or optioned or, you know, not get made though. And I had heard you, you say a long time ago, uh, it with the, with the book world, you can be a, a little bit more in control and you can get your stories out in front of people. And that's one of the reasons why I try to lean into the book world, because I have been feeling like I'm coming up against these walls in the, in the film world. And especially now where it's so hard to get much of anything made less, let alone something that's not a superhero, uh, big blockbuster movie like that. And so yeah. uh, I think it was a real turning point for me. So I just want to thank you for that. Well, I'm so glad because, you know, the fact is you wrote this book was a completely your voice. It's you. It's, it's exactly the way you want it. And it was sensational, you know, hit. So, I mean, that is something you have to, you know, you're the low man on the totem pole in, the, in, in screenwriting. I mean, it's a little better because writers are more respected in television and now the business is sort of skewing that way. Um, but, um, you know, I decided, I mean, that I could either, you know, be a screenwriter and be angry or be a screenwriter and write books and not be angry. So that's one of the things that I I did, but I began as a book writer. I mean, my first work was, was in books. I didn't really start writing screenplays till Nora wanted to collaborate. Would you mind if I asked you about a couple of those other film projects? Is that okay to ask you about hanging up? 
I, I wonder if you have any memories of that. I, I just rewatched it recently. I, I actually think it's very underrated. I, I enjoy it, but I'm curious because you wrote the book and then, and then also worked on the film. What was your experience with that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, now I want to hear it all. <laughs> that was the most gorgeous script. Um, and uh, it did that thing you're talking about of going back and forth between the pain and the comedy in the script. And I don't feel that the final movie was able to do that. I think it went, it, it, you know, it, it's not my, I just said to myself after it was done that I had the book and therefore if anyone really wanted to know what I wrote, they could read the book. And that was the great thing about it, but it wasn't, I didn't feel it captured the script I wrote in the proper way. I mean, I feel bad saying that, but it's the truth. I feel like there are moments that really shine through in it, but it, it does, I think, feel even just as an audience member, not it, almost at odds with itself. There are certain moments that I think shine through. The The one that always sticks out in my mind is um, Walter Matthau when he says, uh, he gets in that fight with uh, Meg Ryan's characters and says, send that one back. And that, there's this really heavy, deep moment um, that it punches you in the gut. Um, And it's like, there's a few moments like that in there, but maybe not Mm -hmm. all coming together. Yeah. That's sort of what I thought. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, What about you worked on Bewitched? Yeah. You know, I think, I don't know that much about Bewitched really. I mean, Nora, I think that script was the Bewitched project would have been circling around that studio for quite a while. And then Nora, did a draft that they liked. And then she asked me, or no, she had an idea for a draft. And then she asked me to collaborate with her. And, um, and then also um, Adam McKay came on because he was Will and Will Ferrell were, you know, like besties and he did everything that Will Ferrell did. So there's a lot of him in that movie too, even mm-hmm. though he's credited. So it's kind of a mishmash. I wouldn't say it was something you know, I think of his, I mean, my favorites are, you know, this is my life, our first movie, which I absolutely love. I love Sleepless and I love You've Got Mail. Those are my faves. Do you have a favorite line from one of those movies? I mean, there's so many quotable. Oh, quote, I was just uh, talking to a friend about in Sleepless when the Rosie O'Donnell character says, uh, you don't want to be in love. You want to be in love in a movie. I think that's the line. Oh, yeah. I'm not, you know, God knows. I don't even know who wrote that one because that's the other thing about movies. That movie was Jeff Archer's screenplay. And then David, someone came up. He has a credit too. There's another guy and he changed the plot. You know, the boy calls the, um, the boy calls the woman on the phone, you know, uh, and says, my dad, you know, my dad needs a wife in the original script. Um, the guy calls. So that, that was a huge change in the movie. And that guy has credit, which very deservedly. So for that change, and then Nora came on and then she did a whole bunch of changes. Then I came on and I did a lot of stuff, but I did almost all dialogue things. So uh, I don't have a credit on it, but I wrote it. But I'm sure about writing movies, right. You know, but it, I mean, I, I know you're no, or you're. I don't want to say known for, but 
people know how great your dialogue writing is. And so is there like a piece of dialogue that you wrote that you think like that was really, Oh, I don't know if I can pull it up. I mean, there's just so much. Yeah. I mean, and you, you've got mail is so dialogue heavy and it's, that's what I love most about you've got mail because mm-hmm. it feels almost I, when I watch it, I almost feel like we're, we're seeing something we're not supposed to because it's, there's these long moments of just dialogue that is so juicy with the, um, and maybe that's because of the email aspect of it, but the bouquets of newly sharpened pencils and just uh-huh. bits of dialogue that are so juicy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't yeah. tell yeah. you a favorite, but I, I do appreciate that about that movie. I agree with you. Yeah. It's, really it, it, you know, we love children's books so much also. And, and, you know, the setting, making her book shop, a children's bookstore allowed us to mention books that we loved as kids. Yeah, it's so cozy. Uh, And also, I want to point out in your last essay collection, you talk about seven brides for seven brothers. And you said, if a movie gets me, I forgive it for everything. And I feel that way about You've Got Mail. I I don't find one flaw in it. It's just... (laughs) Well, that is wonderful. (laughs) I rewatched, you know, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, I believe has destroyed my life. So um, I saw it about 16 times at the time I was about 16. And and I think it's why I just married the first man who asked me and moved to Providence, Rhode Island. It's not the backwoods, um, but uh, which is where... Jane Powell goes when someone asks her to marry him, Howard Keel, she moves to the backwoods and takes care of him. And his. all I wanted to do was make flapjacks and biscuits for seven wild men. That was my fantasy. And um, I, I mean, if a movie gets you, it, it's, it, and, and by the way, I think this happens in a movie theater more than it can happen in your living room. Yeah. Um, there's something about being in the dark. And seeing that and and that it it can hook into your dreams, it can hook you in a way that is really, really powerful. And I'm sure all 16 of those viewings I had of Seven Brides and one was in Madrid um, uh, were in movie theaters. And uh, oh, and the greatest dance sequence ever. Have you seen that movie? No, but I I was just re-listening to your to that audiobook, And I was like, I have to go watch this. So I'm going to, I promise you, I'm going to watch it this week. Well, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, th- these men steal these women. It's, it's an awful rape fantasy. No question about it. I mean, a, a woman puts a pie on a windowsill and she's pulled right out the window. I mean, I, I don't know why I, you know, well, I know why, I mean, it just, you know, but the dancing, um, is just it is so spectacular. There's a there's a dance between the the backwoodsmen and the town guys, and it's it's a competition for the women, and it's just about as great a film on dance that I know. Oh, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, do you want to? You're going to say Delia's crazy. This is the no. most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I would never ever say that. And <laughs> I cannot wait. Uh, what do you want readers to leave with this book? Is there something, you know, what do you want them to take with it? About, I think this is a book about love. And I think it's a book about believing. I, it, it's when I was writing this story, I had to re- I had to research the time when I got sick. I mean, very simply, I I lose Jerry. I meet Peter in this crazy way, fall madly in love with him. Four months later, I get diagnosed with leukemia. And the book is about that survival. So it's about love and medicine. 
but it's also about friendship. It's really also about friendship and it's about dogs and it's about everything, but about so much luck, good and bad, but luck that makes you believe that there are miracles. And that's what I believed after I survived it because it didn't make any sense that I'm here. It didn't make any sense that Peter landed in my life. You know, the one man that could actually get me through that. So I think it's as positive a book as you could read in terms of joy. And it's a, it's, it's a real roller coaster of laughter and tears, I think. Um, so anyway, I hope people, and, and I also want to say another thing. It's honest. I, I don't think you should write, well, you write memoir too. So you know this, right? memoir only works if you tell the truth. Most things only work if you tell the truth. Um, but memoirs, and in this case, it was so personal and I knew I had to tell the truth. Uh, and the subject was so personal that it was a, more of a challenge. Is there any advice, other advice you would give a writer like myself? Uh, well, you figured it out, okay? okay? Because you go inside for what's true. You don't go outside. And and to me, that's the whole, that's the secret of being a good writer. Your writing is your fingerprint. So you have to figure out what your fingerprint is. So I don't think it helps to look around and say, oh, people like vampires now. I think I could do a vampire, you know? If vampires don't have big meaning for you, do not write vampires. Find the things that are you and write them. I love that. Kelia, I could talk to you forever. I, this was a, a dream come true to me. Is there anything next that you could talk to us about that you're working on or anything that you can share? I mean, obviously, this book is just now coming out. So this is... Right. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone... Everyone's going to buy it and everyone's going to love it. I promise oh, you. Oh, good. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, this has just been a joy to talk to you. I mean, you're just a joy. So thank you for having me. I was so nervous because I'm a big fan. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to to talk to someone you're such a huge fan of. And not just, I'm just such a fan of your your work and your writing. And and yeah, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, I want to just encourage everyone to pick up your book, Left on 10th. And all of your writing, I mean, every book you do is fantastic. And and I selfishly want you to do more film work. And I'm going to hope that you get Meg in front of the screen again, because that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Delia. All right. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic. A North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories so much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made 
for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Thank you so much for listening to Everything Iconic. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. As always, I will put video of the interview up on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one. Again, get my book, How Do I Unremember This, along with Delia's Left on 10th, A Second Chance at Life. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk soon. Love you all. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.